0: Isn't it lovely that God speaks in our midst? He's, well, Corinthians says we don't have a mute God like the gods the people make for themselves. We have a God whose Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church, such as prophecy, tongues, interpretation, and things like that. And he's speaking. He's not mute, he's very much with us, speaking in our midst. So. Last week we looked at Satan's successful temptation of Adam and Eve, and now we're going to look at his unsuccessful attempt at tempting Jesus. So turn to Matthew 4. And hopefully we can learn something to help us deal with the devil when he tempts us to go his way rather than God's way. And last week I said, what I mean by when the devil tempts us, I mean by he either tempts us directly him or one of his demons is in your face or in your circumstances talking to you or suggesting or doing something affecting you to get you to follow his way rather than god 's way, or indirectly by any of the world 's sinful ways, because one John, the apostle John said, the whole world is un- so am I moving around like' having to move the camera the whole world is under the influence of the evil one John says so Basically, whether the influence is directly or indirectly through some of the sinful ways of the world. How can we overcome? Okay, Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, Holy Spirit that is, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, as hard as it sounds on the surface, it seems like the Holy Spirit actually wanted Jesus to be tempted. Okay? the holy spirit led jesus in order that he might face temptation from the devil now scripture assures us that god definitely is not the tempter in james 1:13 it says god does not tempt anyone and the new living translation says god says god never tempts anyone okay so god is not the tempter he does not tempt anyone but god does allow temptation so that We can be the victorious Christian that Jesus writes to us in the book of Revelation. Tested loyalty becomes true loyalty. And what the enemy means for harm, we know from Scripture that God can turn to good. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, but then... Jesus comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? And begins then to terrorise the kingdom of darkness wherever he goes. Literally, demons were begging Jesus not to torture them, weren't they? He was terrorising the kingdom of darkness. While the enemy meant for Jesus' harm actually became harmful to the kingdom of darkness. And it's a victory that is still having a devastating effect on the enemy now, isn't it? Jesus' kingdom and what he began in the desert is still had playing havoc and terrorising the kingdom of darkness now. Now you've probably read at least one Christian book or you know someone personally that has a testimony that maybe for a while, maybe for years, the enemy kept them under some kind of circumstances. Then all of a sudden, God broke in. And now that person has a mission or a ministry, maybe worldwide, that is actually having a harmful impact on the kingdom of darkness. For instance, an ex-witch who gets saved. And all of a sudden... That ex-witch is now saving and delivering loads of other people in the occult. Or someone who's bedridden for years with sickness, all of a sudden God steps in, healing happens, and now they've got a worldwide ministry healing and saving loads of people. I mean, Joanne Moody, who I, I, I read her book recently... I highly recommend you read her first book and then her second book. I read the second book and then the first book. But you should read the first book first. But transformation. 14 years, 14 surgeries, bedridden. Then one day God steps in, totally healed. And now she goes around preaching the gospel worldwide, seeing loads and loads of other people healed and saved. What Satan inflicted to one person, that one is now plundering the gates of hell by the dozen. What Satan means for harm, God can turn into so much good. But the person with the greatest, most fruitful victory over Satan was and still is Jesus Christ. For those who read a little bit further into Genesis 3 than we did last week, what prophetic message of doom did God give Satan in Genesis 3? He told Satan, the snake will strike a man's heel, but what will man do? He will crush your head. Now, Bible scholars all agree that this is a prophetic word of what Jesus would come and do. And when Jesus came as a man, Emmanuel, one of us, remember that prophecy, you will, crush, you will bite a man's heel, but he will crush your head. When Jesus came as Emmanuel, one of us, That's exactly what he began to do. And that crushing of Satan's head commenced when the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the the wilderness. And it was bought and paid for and signed and sealed when Jesus died on the cross. And then it was given to us believers as inheritance when Jesus ascended and sent the Holy Spirit. And this crushing will be brought to utter completion when Jesus returns. Hebrews 10 says that ever since Jesus made that one time, once and for all sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And since that time in the wilderness... The devil is only getting further and further under the crushing foot of Jesus. Quickly turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Keep your place, sorry, in uh, Matthew 4. Quickly turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. It says then the end will come when he, meaning Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father and he, Jesus, has destroyed all dominion, authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now the crushing of Satan began in the wilderness, in that temptation but it will finish when Jesus comes again. Now I've heard Nicky Gumbel describe the age we currently live in as the difference between D-Day and V-E-Day. D-Day, Second World War, June 1944, was the decisive moment when the Allied troops successfully invaded Europe, and key events meant that basically the war was won. We've got so far now, we're going to win. But it was another 336 days of kind of mop-up until the Nazis' unconditional surrender meant the Allied troops accepted, that's it, we're done, which was VE Day, 8th of May 1945. So there was a a period between the decisive day and actually the declaration of total victory. Jesus and his church's D-Day was on Jesus' resurrection. And our VE Day... Will come when Jesus returns. In the meantime, as we saw last week, the devil has been disarmed, he's more vulnerable, but he's not yet been dismissed. Okay? And in the meantime, the Apostle Paul gives the church this encouragement. In Romans 16 20, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This will happen one day, and we will be part of it. When, when Jesus finally crushes all his enemies, the church will be with him and they will be under our feet too. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And in the meantime, until this full crushing, when the full weight of Jesus' foot comes down like it was prophesied right in the beginning of Genesis 3. Am I right in thinking that Jesus said his followers should do some kind of trampling too? Did he? Okay, keep your place in Matthew still and go to Luke 10. Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19. Jesus said, I have given you, this is to his first disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now we're guessing Jesus' meaning here, not literal snakes and scorpions, but... Um, He's meaning the demons, the the problematic demons that you will come across in people's lives, affecting them, whether it's sickness or other disorders as we've seen in the Gospels. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's our position, or should be our position now as believers, as Christians, as those who are... um, Under Jesus, and yet over the enemy. The Apostle John suggests the whole world is under the influence of the evil one, which is already said. However, what did Jesus say about you? He said in John 17, that you are not of this world. I am not of this world, and my disciples that you have given me, Father, they are not of this world too. The world is under the influence of the evil one. However, are you of this world? No, as soon as you became born again, as soon as you repented and put your faith in Jesus, Jesus described it as being born again. You become a new creation, Scripture says. You're no longer born from below, but you're born from above. That's what the Bible says. You are born from above. You become a new creation. You're no longer of this world. You live on this world that is under the influence of everyone, but you are no longer of this world. You come from a kingdom which is above. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians. Doesn't feel like it, does it? Often, because we live in a world that's under, the, circum- under the, the power of the evil one. However, we come from a kingdom. We belong to a kingdom currently where Jesus is putting all the enemies under His feet, and we are part of His body. Okay, so uh, we part of a kingdom that is above and not under the enemy. But what the enemy seems to do well is keeping Christians from realising this powerful truth and acting upon it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, when we eventually realise and submit to God and resist the devil, as it says in James 4.7, we can watch him flee in circumstances. We can watch the healing that happens, that takes place. Not just physical healing, but we can watch the spiritual healing that takes place when we submit to God, resist the devil and watch him flee and watch the harm that that potentially causes to the kingdom of darkness. What the enemy was meaning for harm, God can turn for good. Sometimes so much good. Okay, go back to Matthew 4. The Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now we often feel for Jesus here thinking how physically hungry he was. So therefore how vulnerable Jesus must have been. But what better time to face the devil than when you've just spent 40 days in quality time praying and fasting with your Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus would have had a very empty, empty stomach but a very full Spirit. If you're in a season where it seems you are spiritually weak against the devil's temptations, maybe ask the Holy Spirit, are you leading me into a fast? Now, it's best that you do your own study of fasting before you do a fast. Study it physiologically, but also spiritually. Go to the Bible. But one thing I would like to say about fasting is it is not a prisoner's uh, hunger strike. You know, I'm going to go without food until God listens to me, until he takes action. No, fasting is not about going without something to twist God's arm. Okay? God is never your problem. What is the problem usually is likely to be the enemy, our behaviour or our thinking fasting is more to do with changing us and us being more sensitive to god than it is about changing god and getting him to be more sensitive to us as we've heard from the words shared this morning he's already so sensitive to you he wants you to know that he loves you fasting is more about changing you and your circumstances and how we are and what we hear from god We need to be led by the Holy Spirit and God's Word, just like we're reading about what Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit and God's Word here. Remembering, if you are being tempted, whatever the devil means for your harm, God knows you can overcome it and work it for good. Satan tempts you to fail, whereas God sees it as a test which you can pass. In this life, we don't like tests, do we? But what do tests mean? I mean, are you glad that the surgeons, if you got surgery, they've passed a few tests? Would you like them not to have tests and just declare themselves? No. Tests are good things because what tests do is it enables someone to pass and move on and be promoted. Tests like driving test exams and things help people to qualify, move forwards with confidence, capability and promotion. That's what tests are there to do, to promote, to gain. What Satan uses to encourage failure in temptations, God allows to bring about victory and promotion. You can overcome and grow. Okay, hold your place in Matthew and turn quickly to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to be victorious, to overcome, to begin their crushing. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's four things here. God is faithful to you. We often focus on our need to be faithful to God, which is true. But remember this God is faithful to you, He wants to be faithful to you. Secondly, He knows you personally and what you can bear. David wrote to me, the thoughts about me outnumber the grain of sand. How many are the thoughts you have of God about me? God knows you personally and what you can bear. And that means he knows you can be victorious. And for thirdly, you will be tempted. You will be tempted, it says that. And he will provide a way out. Now we know from what Jesus told his disciples a couple of times that prayer is a crucial role in not falling into temptation and finding the way out of temptation. Jesus said to his disciples in the garden before his arrest, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And we get a sense from Matthew, Mark and Luke that Jesus, when he asked his disciples to pray, he was asking for two things watch and pray with me. I need your kind of like your prayerful support just to be with me and watch for me and pray. And you need to pray for yourselves because you're going to fall into temptation too. So you should pray for others regarding temptation, but you should also pray for yourself as well. And in the Lord's Prayer, it includes that, doesn't it? Deliver us from temptation and the evil one. Now, prayer is simply talking to God in that moment. I wonder what might have happened to Satan's conversation with Eve if her or Adam had said, hold up, let's ask God, shall we? Which is prayer, isn't it? I'll just talk to God about this. I wonder how different it would have been if they just stopped the devil right there and then and said, okay, let's talk to God, shall we? Let's ask God. It's quite hard to be talking to God and be giving in (coughs) to temptation at the same time. No wonder the Bible tells us to be praying without ceasing. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5. In God, involve God in a conversation in everything we do. And another God-given way that seems to be helpful way out of temptation is praying in tongues. The Apostle Paul says that when a Christian prays in tongues, it strengthens the person who's praying in tongues. That word strengthen means to build up to edify, like charging a battery, being charged. Now I've shared this testimony before, but a few years ago I went on holiday and I came back. Now holiday time for me is a time of reading the Bible, quiet time, reading Christian books, really kind of filling my mind with all sorts of good Christian stuff. But when I came home for a week or so, I I just felt so vulnerable, so weak when it came to the normal things that came to my mind before, I could dismiss them. But for this week, I just couldn't dismiss them at all. And they. Were just, I thought, what's wrong with me? Why am I so weak at the moment? Why am I having so much difficulty kind of not, not resisting temptation and seeing him flee from me, which is what I normally experience majority of the time? And I realised it dawned on me we hadn't taken the dog with us on holiday. Now, that might sound strange, but most days of the week, I take the dog for a walk for about half an hour and I pray in tongues. That's, that's the time of me praying in tongues. And I realised on holiday, we hadn't taken the dog with me. And although i would been doing all these other spiritual activities, the one thing I hadn't been doing was praying in tongues for half an hour each day. And it dawned on me, ah, that's what it means when Paul wrote, the one who prays in tongues edifies themselves. I didn't realise it, but all those years, I'd just been building my spirit up, been strengthened, and then for a month of not doing it, I'd become weak again. Another way God gives his believers out of temptation, praying in tongues if you do. Okay. Um, What better way to be strong enough to say no in the first place when it comes to temptation is a way out. And as well as our own prayers, sometimes the way out under the devil's influence is the prayerful ministry of others. We um, we normally go out and, once a month on Saturdays to heal on the streets. And this uh, last Saturday, we didn't go out because it was pouring with rain. So we turned up to go and heal in the streets. And instead, we prayed for one another. We spent an hour just praying for situations, and then we've just prayed for. We came around one another and just spent time blessing one individual and praying for them. Now, if you've ever experienced prayerful ministry of other people, you'll know how powerful that is and then God will say something there and then, whether it's through a person's word, through scripture, just something you've seen as you've been prayed for, or afterwards something happens that changes the situation or gives you hope, more encouragement, whatever it is, a way out of the devil's influence and temptation in that circumstance. And as we were praying, I saw a picture of, you know those tennis ball machines that fire out tennis balls for training, and you side of the net whacking them back? Well, I saw that the circumstances that people were struggling with were like a bit like the enemy firing just constant tennis balls at them. But when we, as believers, gather around one another and we start to pray for one another, it's like we've picked up our tennis rackets and we've started to whack them back. And for those of you that receive prayer ministry, whether it's uh, from one person or individuals, or sorry, from a group of people, or whether it's on the WhatsApp group, you know that people are picking up these tennis rangers, even if you're too weak, and you've just been bombarded, and just, it feels like they're just coming in and they're whacking these things back from the enemy kind of thing. Prayer ministry of others is an amazing way that God helps us, giving us a way out of the enemy's temptation influence in our lives. Um again, one of Jesus' most appreciated female disciples was Mary Magdalene. Do you remember Mary? Whom Jesus had cast out seven demons from. Whatever the enemy means for harm, Jesus turns into so much good, doesn't he? Because we just read of Mary's ministry later on. In Jesus' eyes, there's no shame in needing deliverance from the enemy. What is a shame, not shameful, but a shame, is if you don't seek help from other believers, from Jesus, when it comes to being delivered from the enemy's attacks in our lives. And we know from what we're about to continue, that Jesus' temptation, that actually the knowledge of God's word is so crucial as a way out of temptation. And as we've already seen, maybe fasting when led by the Holy Spirit is also a way God provides out, a way out. For example, Jesus asked his disciples when they failed to evict a particularly persistent demon from that young boy. Jesus' answer was, this kind can only come out with prayer, and in some manuscripts it says, and fasting. The problem was not with God. Jesus wanted the boy delivered, didn't he? Or well, God wanted the boy delivered because Jesus did it. Prayer and fasting was required... To release the full potential of this unbelieving generation as Jesus described them. Okay, verse 3 of Matthew 4. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. This is a two age old temptation tactic that the devil has probably used on you as well anytime. time. Questioning our identity. Who you are as a person, but especially who you are as a Christian. Do you have those negative thoughts, doubts, dreams, or maybe through the words and behavior of others that keep you under rather than over in your identity? And he appealed to the desire of Jesus' flesh. You know, if you're hungry, turn them into bread. Did the enemy appeal to Adam and Eve's desire of their flesh as they saw it was good for food and looked good and tasty? Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. One reason why it's good to read the whole of the Bible, so that we can live on every word. Don't fall into the trap that the Old Testament is for the Jewish people, and the New Testament is for the Christians. No, the whole of the Bible is for every child of God. The Old Testament speaks into the New Testament, and the New Testament speaks into the Old Testament. And God speaks into you through all of it. So read all of your Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And last week we looked at how important it is for you to know it is also written. If the enemy quotes, falsely quotes scripture at you, or you, th- you see something that where there's some kind of scriptural basis, but actually it doesn't actually match up with what the rest of God said, you need to know it is also written. So important you live on every word from the mouth of God. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Now, God wants you to be obedient and worship him because he loves you. Satan wants you to obey him because he loves himself and hates you. And in Luke's account, he includes the devil saying, all authority of the kings of the world has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Whereabouts in the Bible did the devil gain all this authority of all the kingdoms of the earth? Well, it was right back in Genesis 3, where we were last week. When the devil duped Adam and Eve into obeying him rather than God, the authority that God gave Adam and Eve to rule the world and subdue it was then passed to the enemy. And he's had it ever since. And that's why he'd come up to Jesus and say, all the authority of this stuff, it's mine, and I can give it to whoever I want to. Jesus said to him, away from me, saying, for it is also well, he's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Now on this occasion, the angels waited for Jesus to win the battle before they came and ministered to Jesus. Whereas in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that it was halfway through his wrestling in prayer that the angels came and strengthened him, then he continued to pray. So don't think you are alone when being tempted and tried. The Bible promises that you too have angels, ministering spirits sent to minister to you who will inherit salvation. And who knows how many times you have experienced the protection in the ministry of angels without even realising it. They're just as invisible as the enemy, but just as present and in far greater number. Let's finish by reading this uplifting passage together. Hebrews 2, verse 9. Hebrews 2 verse 9, actually verse 5. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour. And that's what uh, Linda mentioned today, we've been crowned with glory. Now, before Satan stole their authority, God told Adam and Eve to rule over every creature and subdue the earth. That was putting everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Why? Because Satan became the awful landlord of the earth but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation which is Jesus perfect through what he suffered Both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are being made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And we got a sense this morning as we were singing, weren't we, And Jude shared that Jesus is walking among us, wanting us to see him approaching each one of us. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, in the assembly I will sing your praises, and again I will put my trust in him. And again he says, Here I am, and the children God has given me. You're know one of Jesus. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He broke that power on the cross. And he's going to be completely crushed one day and evicted forever. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's what we celebrated as we took communion today. Because... He himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, out of all the ways we've discussed, prayer ministry and things like that, Jesus is the best way, the only way for permanent uh, uh, escape or rescue from the devil trying to get you to follow him and not God.